It's Twin Bills, the Red Sox podcast from the sports department of the Providence Journal, featuring Red Sox beat writer Bill Koch, along with sports editor Bill Corey. Now, Twin Bills. Hello and welcome to this week's Twin Bills Red Sox podcast. This is Bill Corey, sports editor of the Providence Journal. With me is Bill Koch, our Red Sox beat writer, our road-weary and sleep-deprived Bill Koch. Bill, how are you holding up? Pretty good, Bill. Actually, uh, feeling pretty good. Home from Toronto early this morning. Mm -hmm. uh, Feeling much better than I did Sunday night into Monday morning, for (laughs) sure. Well, Sunday night uh, brought uh, with it uh, some shocking news. Uh, So let's start there. And um, that's called a segue, folks. That's yeah. <laughs> that's not the scooter either. This is that's the, right. Uh, and that shocking news was uh, the Red Sox can Dave Dombrowski, uh, and the way it all played out, Bill, was just bizarre. Um, you know, the uh, we started getting inklings of it right around midnight, just after midnight, and sure enough, we got some confirmation that it happened. So why don't you take us through it? Because you were uh, you were there when it happened, and. Uh, Boy, I, it just, you know, initially when it happened, I'm thinking, now? <laughs> They're going to do this now? Yeah. So what happened? Well, I'll just set the scene. Uh, the Red Sox playing the Yankees, losing to the Yankees uh, Sunday night, losing the last three games of that four-game series. Um, and, you know, somebody noticed up in the press box in about the sixth or seventh inning that Dombrowski was not sitting in the owner's box like he usually does. And he was there pregame, right? They had some ceremony on the field. He was there pregame. They were honoring community service, uh, community service award recipients, I Mm -hmm. think. And he was one of them. Um, They had a host of Red Sox personnel on the field, whether it was Sam Kennedy or Dave Dombrowski or whoever else. Uh, So they went through the ceremony, and it wasn't until later in the game that we noticed Dombrowski wasn't in the owner's box. And it was a little strange because he's generally there just about every night. Um, Then there were rumblings as the game was going on that uh, potentially the Red Sox were going to be poised to to make a move or that they were having some sort of meetings behind the scenes. Uh, Game ends. We go downstairs for the normal post-game press conference with Alex Cora. Wait a few minutes. Wait a few minutes more. Alex doesn't come out. Instead, it's Kevin Gregg, who's the vice president of media relations, and Kevin breaks the news to us that uh, the the club had parted ways with Dave Dombrowski, Uh, and we all sort of smelled something fishy when Cora didn't come out right away, but maybe not necessarily that. It it was certainly a surprise with the timing and and just sort of how it was executed. Well... um the fact that they parted ways with Dombrowski, I don't think is is that big of a surprise considering where they uh, where they're finishing this year. The, the way it happened clearly was a shocker. Correct. Uh, you know, uh, and I've read different columnists' accounts, and um, you know, I don't think that the plan was going into Sunday night to fire Dave Dombrowski. I think that uh, there was probably something said, some kind of a meeting between him and the ownership, and that led to basically him. Uh, being let go. Um, and, Bill, so I guess we should just touch upon here and, and discuss the Dave Dombrowski era. Sure. Which, uh, I mean, you know, he won a World Series, so you can't really be that critical of somebody who comes in and wins the World Series. Right. And he did it doing the Dave Dombrowski things, which is signing 
uh, free agents to big to big contracts. But I think it's that same uh, that same strategy that probably played a role in his uh, his downfall in Boston. Yeah, I just look at um, his tenure here. Obviously, winning three American League East titles: 2016, 2017, 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, the World Series in 2018, the record-setting Red Sox team, winning 108 games in the regular season. Uh, which is a club record, beating 300 win teams in the playoffs. They're the first team ever to do that. Uh, it truly was a team for the ages. And as we discussed on the podcast last year, at the end of last season, we both feel it's the best Red Sox team we've ever seen. Right. Um, you know, the, the, the aftermath of that was sort of going into spring training this year and thinking that they had a chance to repeat. You brought back just about all the same pieces from last year's team, and it just hasn't worked right from the start. It's been flat. It's been sort of stagnant. Um, They haven't really caught any sort of fire along the way. I think their longest win streak is six games. Um, Starting pitching is woefully underperformed. Uh, bullpen before they sort of got snapped into roles here, defined roles over the last month and a half or so, really struggled. Uh, you know, certain pieces of the lineup, I, I would say, and you haven't gotten as much production from second base, from first base as you would like to. Um, you know, it, it's just been an odd year. It's mm-hmm. been a very strange year watching this cast that was so dominant that could do no wrong last year just sort of stagger and flail this season it's been very strange to watch for 147 games yeah and and nobody really thought that was going to be the case when you're going into the season um speaking for myself you know you're looking at the same roster essentially i mean you didn't have craig kimbrell but but you had pretty much the same roster and and you figured well this team should should be able to compete again i mean uh you had uh some pretty good pitching performances last season this season, uh, everything that could go wrong with the pitching staff essentially did. Right. Uh, you're right. Uh, you didn't get production uh, very much production out of first or second base. I mean, you had the nice Michael Chavis story there for a little while, then he kind of fell off. Mm-hmm. Mitch Moreland's kind of been in and out of the lineup, dealing with injuries. Right. Uh, you know, you had some great stories with uh, Xander Bogarts and, and Raphael Devers. Yeah. Um, but overall, the, the starting pitching has been terrible. The bullpen has been unreliable. And as great as the offense has been, you know, and they're an above 500 team. They're just not good enough to get into the postseason. And I think ultimately, what did Dave Dombrowski in is a the performance of this team, and b some of these contracts that now the Red Sox are kind of saddled with for a little bit. Yeah, the the Red Sox ownership sort of left some breadcrumbs along the way here uh, that were going to lead us to the this conclusion. Uh, John Henry. Did an interview with WEI.com in, in midseason. Uh, credit to Rob Bradford for getting John Henry one on one. And Henry said a couple things that should have caught your attention at the time. The first was that he didn't believe in lame duck contracts for managers or baseball executives. Uh, Dombrowski had one year left on his deal in 2020. Right. Uh, it was either going to be extend him or cut bait. Um, the other thing that John Henry told Rob Bradford was we've already spent all our money with respect to the trade deadline. We are not going through the competitive balance tax again. Mm -hmm. We did that last year because we felt like we had a chance to win the World Series. They were correct about that. Um, But they were not going to do that again this year with the team sort of struggling in second gear and and unable to show 
any sort of ability to really challenge the Yankees mm-hmm. in the AL East. Yep. The Astros for the best record in the American League. They they're not in that class. And they weren't. And and regardless of I think what move or moves they might have made at the trade deadline, I don't think they were going to get there. Um so they were, you know, Dombrowski's hands were were tied a little bit in that way. Uh you know, he dealt for Andrew Kashner, he was a disaster as a starter, he's been a serviceable reliever, but that's almost besides the point. Right. The statement that was being made by ownership there was we're not spending anymore. We've already done it. You've spent enough money on this team. If they don't produce, that's on you. Right. Um, There's a report in the Boston Globe uh, in a column by Dan Shaughnessy that said that you know, Dombrowski had become a little bit isolated within Fenway, that he and Frank Wren and Tony La Russa had sort of separated themselves from either the financial side of baseball there or some of the other folks in the front office. Yep. That wasn't refuted by Alex Cora or John Henry or anybody right. else. Uh, so you sort of see along the way that you know maybe they're, they're sort of laying the groundwork to move Dombrowski out uh, with one year left on his deal. Right. Um, you know, I just think, and, and for me, I, I wrote this uh, for the journal. It's actually in Friday's editions of the journal, and it's online right now. I just think that at the end, Dombrowski's dealings who and what he spent on just didn't align closely enough with Henry's core principles in terms of team building. And I think that ultimately once Henry took a step back and took a look at this and took a look at his roster, I think he realized that in the span of 10 months, they'd gone from the greatest Red Sox team of all time to a team that isn't exactly the most financially flexible going forward. No, t- to the most expensive Red Sox team of all time, and you don't have the results right. to go along with it. Right. And, and uh, yeah, and your column made that, uh, made that point very well, I think, that, that Henry is somebody who, throughout his career, uh, personal uh, and financial career, has always sought out high value, uh, you know, as a, as a futures uh, trader. And, you know, this year, with the, with the Red Sox salary uh, uh, payroll being what it is, and you add Chris Sale's contract extension. You have an expensive David Price uh, contract. You sign Nathan Avaldi, and he didn't work out, at least not this year. Right. Uh, that, that's, that sort of does rub, I think, John Henry the wrong way. And you know that you've got Mookie Betts, who is going to be uh, in line for a payday. What are you going to do with him? Um, it just... You know, I, I think that the, the the surprise was not that they got rid of Dave Dombrowski. It's just how it all went down on Sunday night. Yes. I mean, I think most of us probably, if this happened the day after the season ended or within a week, would probably say, okay, well, I sort of get it. Even though, you know, it's amazing now how there is really no grace period anymore. You know, you just won the World Series. You just set a franchise record for, for, uh, for w- wins in a season. Uh, you you have won um, American League East titles for several years prior, mm-hmm. yet none of that really matters. You didn't even finish this year, and it's not as though you were a losing team. But again, you're not going to get to the playoffs, and it's amazing that uh, this change happened so quickly. In my mind, I, I might think that you know from Henry's perspective, and, and certainly from mine, is that you had all of that leverage, you had that strong roster, and you've sort of squandered that momentum just within 10 months mm. with some of the contracts that you've signed and some of the decisions that you've made. Uh, you know, As I wrote for the journal, you have three contracts right now 
Price, Sale, and Evaldi that are untradeable. Right. No rival executive would take those deals without a significant asset attached. They count for $73.6 million on the books for each of the next three years. Yeah. That's going to be about a third, That's a third of, of your, your payroll. payroll. Yeah. Under the tax for three players. Uh, two pitchers who are going to be in their 30s and another who's in his late 20s who's had Tommy John surgery twice. And so you look at Henry and you think you know he's managed his companies previously he's bought the Red Sox and Liverpool uh, for a combined 1.15 billion they're worth five and a half billion sure. now yep, yep. you look at just his pattern of business over the course of his career right Chris Sale and Nathan Avaldi don't fit that pattern neither does David Price mm-hmm. for that matter right you're buying very high and you're getting to the point where at the end of their contracts you won't be able to sell at all That's never right. mind sell low right um, so you you might look and say that Henry's futures markets in, in corn and in soybeans, the, the algorithm that he wrote to buy and sell at certain times, mm-hmm. it was written in a certain way to discard human emotions and discard trends mm. and spot value. Was Chris Sale value at this point? Was Nathan Evaldi value? Right. No, the answer right point? now is no, of course you know, not. Yeah. And, and in some ways, those were somewhat emotional decisions coming off last year. Steve mm-hmm. Pierce certainly was. Sure. One-year deal. You could look, and, and Henry could look and say, why didn't we see Michael Chavis coming? You know, Why right. didn't we see Sam Travis hitting lefties? Uh, why did we have to bring Steve Pierce back for $6 million? Mm-hmm. Why did you have to sign Eduardo Nunez for a year with a player option and give up another $6 million that you didn't need to this year? Right. Uh, why did you tender Stephen Wright? Why did you tender Tyler Thornburg? Just these little decisions on the edges of the roster – bloated your payroll as well sure. it's not just the big contracts that you've signed so i think henry is looking at this and he's thinking that we were in a great position of strength last october yeah uh and we've sort of squandered that now with some big decisions to make whether it be porcello and brock holt who are going to be free agents this offseason yep. or mookie Betts and jackie bradley jr who are going to be free agents next offseason so uh looking forward here um you know, I know that the news out of Fenway was that they will have uh, sort of some of the assistants step up and fulfill the duties here for now. Um, but uh, what do you see going forward? What do you see next year uh, in terms of maybe not necessarily a name as to who the new GM or president of baseball operations might be? But um, I'm thinking the philosophy of this of this next uh person is going to be very different than Dave Dombrowski's. Yeah, it's probably going to veer more back towards the Theo Epstein, Ben Charrington prospect development. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, a little bit of sort of, uh, you know, I wouldn't say a finishing school. I I don't think that the Red Sox are a team that, you know, is going to bring through six or seven guys and, you know, play 500 baseball and and be content to do that. When you spend the amount that they spend and when you're committed to spending the amount that they are committed to spending. It's it's not like their payroll is all of a sudden going to be 120 million next year. No. And and you still have quality players under control. Right. Um, You know, you could still turn around and be very good next year. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, if sale and, and price approach even an average season for them next season you're going to have two very good pitchers at the front of your rotation if eduardo rodriguez is even 80 percent of the guy that he was this year he's right. going to be a very good middle of the rotation starter right uh your offense if you decide to keep everyone currently you still have mookie Betts, sander bogarts Raphael devers in the primes of their careers uh even if jd martinez opts out 
Yep. Still looks like you have a very formidable offense, uh, an offense that is going to score runs and, and be a menace for opposing pitching staffs. Yep. So you have a considerable amount of talent, and and I think you know losing like this, sort of struggling like this, being knocked down a peg like this, brings them back to the pre-Alex Cora days when they lost twice in the American League Division Series and, and were losers and chokers and bums and everything else. They're going to come into next year's spring training with a little more of a chip on their shoulder, which, right. which could be a good thing. Sure, sure, um, absolutely. It's, it's a very talented group. You make them a little uncomfortable. You say... You know, a few guys might be playing for your futures, and, and we expect better than 2019, and you might get a response. Right. Um, right. You know, but there are going to be critical decisions there to make. You know, what do you do? Do you try to do you try to get out from under maybe one of these contracts? Do you attach price to Mookie Betts and, and sort of float that out there at the winter meetings and see what people say? Yeah. Uh, do you deal <clears throat> Jackie Bradley Jr. and just admit that? with a year left on his deal you're probably not going to sign him in free agency and you move on right um i think the next general manager president of baseball operations whatever title they have i think they're going to want to see a little more creativity than just signing the best free agent on the market throwing money at your problems i I think they're going to look for a sort of different solution and and maybe something more in line with the trends in baseball right now because the talent out there is younger, mm-hmm. cheaper and better than it's ever been. You know, for players who are in their early 20s, mid 20s. Right. You look at Devers, you look at Bogarts, you look at guys around the league like Ronald Acuña. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there there the list goes on and on and on of player Cody Bellinger, Christian Yelich, guys who have come through organizations and who have been stars right away. Yep. Um, and that's the most efficient and the most cost-efficient way to build a roster. Uh, so uh, the big doings of Sunday night uh, were followed by some big doings on Monday night uh, at, at the uh, at the ballpark, and that's something that you were there for. Uh, am, I, am I am I right? Is it Monday night? Monday, yeah, night. Monday night. Correct. That uh, that uh, we saw the return of David Ortiz to Fenway Park. Yes. Uh, now. Initially, I and I think a lot of other people were thinking, well, this is sort of the Red Sox trying to take the focus away from the whole Dave Dombrowski affair. Cynical, hardened bastards that we are. I had the same thought. And I'm ashamed of myself now for having it, honestly. Well, you know, I think that, you know, having watched the Red Sox and, and not just the Red Sox, but, you know, many other professional teams over the years, you know, there certainly are times when teams want to take off take the focus off a certain thing and they do something else to say hey look at the shiny thing over here and forget about that other thing and the the Sox have been a little sneaky in that (laughs) regard too i mean if you go back to theo in the gorilla suit you know the fact that they didn't have a press conference and sent alex cora out there to fend for himself and speak for ownership yeah you sort of looked at the next day and thought Oh yeah, this is very convenient. You mentally, you were predisposed. You're already in that dark place because of what had already happened. That you you were sort of going to places that you shouldn't have gone. Right. But well, continue. Go that, ahead. That was the other thing too. They they didn't have the the common decency bill of having a a, a legitimate press conference to uh, to announce the departure. Uh, but anyway, okay. whatever. Uh, but but uh, so um, the next night, and this was Monday night. Uh, this was the final of the sort of wraparound series against the New York Yankees. Um, 
David Ortiz comes out to throw out the first pitch, and it was genuinely a surprise, you know. And and uh, you were there, and, and even you said it was a surprise generally to, to the writers who really kind of got wind of it a little bit before, but didn't know that it was going to really be happening uh, throughout much of the day. Yeah, word leaked out uh, probably about an hour before, forty-five minutes before. I think it was Dan Shaughnessy tweeted something that. Ortiz was going to be there and obviously the first reaction was oh isn't that convenient you know, they <laughs> fired Dombrowski the night before and this is the perfect diversion uh, right. you know but then I you know, thought about it a little more and realized that Monday September 9th was three months to the day that David Ortiz was shot in the Dominican Republic that was June 9th yep. um, and we all know that he's been recovering at home in his mm-hmm. Boston area home. Uh, we had some photos of him come out uh, a couple days earlier. Gary Sanchez and Edwin Encarnacion had visited him uh, at his home. Right. Both fellow Dominicans. Uh, Ortiz is obviously a hero to ball players in that country. Um, you know, Gary Sanchez, especially a young guy in his mid twenties. Uh, his Instagram post was really classy and, and deferential. Mm-hmm. Uh, called him Mr. Ortiz. Right. You know, it's an honor right. to meet you sure. or to see you. Um, you know, he is Big Poppy was was the hashtag. Oh, and, and in the Dominican, I mean, he's he's bigger than he's, anybody else you can name. Yes, <laughs> as Eddie Romero said after Ortiz was shot, uh, Eddie Romero, the assistant GM of the Red Sox, said that Ortiz is bigger than any president. Bigger than any political figure, right. bigger than anyone sure. in the Dominican. Yeah. Uh, so for someone like Gary Sanchez, who's really just starting out in his career, it, you, you can imagine sure. the reverence with Absolutely. which he holds Ortiz. Mm-hmm. Um, so three months to the day since he was shot, a, a big personal milestone in his recovery, you would have to think. And you, know, you see him come out. I was on the field filming uh, when he came out to throw out the first pitch and, and you know, address the crowd for about a minute or so. Mm-hmm. It was like nothing had ever happened. He bounds up the steps. Yeah, he looks great. Dug out. He looked great. Comes out. He he looks like David Ortiz. Yeah. He's got the sunglasses and the gold chain and, and the big smile. Pointing up to the crowd, the big smile. He commands the stage. Mm-hmm. You know, as few can. Um, throws the pitch to Jason Veritek, his old teammate. They they. They hug in the middle of the diamond. Mm-hmm. It, it was a, a great moment. I, I could definitely, you know, I felt the hair stand up on the back of my neck. It was one of those <laughs> things where the crowd is cheering. And, you know, you just think about everything that he's overcome the last three months. The fact that, you know, he was so seriously wounded and so seriously injured, uh, was in the hospital at Mass General for however long. Yeah. Uh, it, it was a genuinely great moment uh, in a season that just hasn't had enough of them. And, and certainly, you know, puts your mind at ease based on what happened in the middle of the year. Seeing him like that, right? Seeing him be Big Poppy in full sure. again, it, it really, you know, sort of allays any fears that you might have about him going forward. Yeah, and you know, it's it's funny. Uh, I was watching it, and and I had a lot of the same feelings. And you know, part of me, the old, the, the cynic side of us, was like, yeah, but we still don't really know what happened down in down in the Dominican. There's still a million questions as right. to you know. Who was involved? What was his involvement? I don't. I don't think anybody really buys it was just completely random, or, or it was you know a mis- case of mistaken identity. Right. But all that aside, it was great to see Big Poppy in really truly his element in uh, at Fenway, and as you mentioned, at a place where there hasn't been a whole lot to cheer for this year. Um, 
and uh, speaking of things not to cheer for this year, so this year, this week, the, the Red Sox were eliminated from uh, the American League East uh, contention. It was uh, sadly it was that same night that that, that night. Yeah, yeah, against the Yankees, uh, and um, you know they are sitting. I want to say they're nine and a half games out of the wild card or something like that. And, I'll, I'll I'll tell you where they're at right now. Okay, they're so far out of the wild card that I haven't checked the standings. <laughs> right, they're in basically the last three or four days. there's no way they're getting into the postseason. No, but. Um, no, that's stopped. And and we're gonna uh, we're, we're gonna wrap up all that stuff in our uh, post mortem edition. Yes, we were gonna do that today, but then there's all this news, so we're gonna have to push that off a week. Well, and as our our faithful listeners know, Bill Corey has been dying to do that. <laughs> I told post-mortem you post mortem edition for about a month now, <laughs> right. at least. Well, yeah, me and everyone else in the world said yeah. they weren't gonna make the playoffs. So, well, that's right. Uh, um, you were right. Uh, but another bright spot on the field, and this has really been happening all season long, has been uh, shortstop Xander Bogarts, who reached yet another milestone uh, this week. Uh, Bill, which you uh, touched upon uh, in today's journal. Uh, so why don't you fill us in? Uh, 30 homers and Thursday night in Toronto, his 50th double of the season. Uh, he's only the second shortstop in baseball history to have a 30 homer, 50 double season. Wow. The first was... Uh, shortstop was yes. it, uh, was it uh, was it A Rod Alex Rodriguez yeah. in yeah. 1996. That's right. He was with the Mariners at the he time. He was with the Mariners yeah. at the time. There's only been one other Red Sox player to do it. That was David Ortiz in 2007, a right. year that the Red Sox won the World Series. Not a shortstop, but <laughs> certainly not a shortstop. Certainly a slugger. Yeah, uh, and that's who Xander Bogarts has become. Over the last two years, yeah, kind of. He's yeah. become a slugger. Yeah, I mean, you look at his numbers. He's got a, right now, uh, and we're we're recording this on a Friday afternoon, on uh, Friday the thirteenth of all days. Um, one hundred and six RBIs, thirty one home runs. He's hitting uh, over three hundred. Uh, has just been solid all year long at, at the plate and playing obviously a, a good defense as well. Uh, you're right. He has become David Ortiz on the field, and in a lot of ways, kind of that leader in the clubhouse too. Yeah, he's definitely the guy. Yeah, he he's the go-to guy. Um, you know, the other night they when they got shut out in Toronto, I think it was eight nothing, two mm. hitter by the right. Blue Jays. Uh, first time in 159 games, the Red Sox did not have an extra base hit. Yeah, amazing. Uh, Bogarts was out of the shower. He'd gotten dressed, and he could sense that the media wanted to speak to him about uh, his teammates' anemic offensive performance. <laughs> So he goes into his locker, he pulls out his phone, he pulls out uh, his money clip, turns around and says, okay guys, let's go. Hmm. Fully takes on the responsibility to speak for the team, right. speak for his teammates. He, he, that's something that he's developed this year. He's the on-field leader. It's been very impressive to see sure. and to watch. Uh, and, and realistically, I think I've said this before on the podcast, he's a guy at his age, based on the fact that he's won two championships, based on the fact that he's gotten paid, that he can speak Spanish right. as well. He can and, reach, and several other languages, too. He can reach every corner of that clubhouse. Yeah. He's a veteran, but he's also still young. Yep. He's a guy who, you know, baseball players and pro athletes generally respect guys who've gotten paid. Uh, there, there's a certain amount of street cred, for lack of a better term, when a guy gets a big contract yep. and gets paid. He, he's more real than everybody else. Right, right. Um, you know, but he's young enough where he can still go up to Rafael Devers, who's 22, and relate to him. It's, it's you know, it's okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, so he he's very much evolved into that this year, and, and it's 
been very impressive to see. Uh, you know, obviously he he said uh, Thursday after he got the milestone double that he's now waiting for Devers to join him <laughs> uh, because he and Devers are the first set of Red Sox teammates to each have fifty doubles in a season. Right. Devers has twenty nine home runs. His thirtieth will make Devers and Bogarts the first set of teammates anywhere in baseball to hit 30 home runs and have 50 doubles in a season. So you look at how special the left side of their infield has been in terms of an offensive performance this year. And it makes you wonder again how the hell they're missing the playoffs. It really is. It's a, it's it's so frustrating. Yeah, and you know it's funny if this is if this is even possible. But but you know in a lot of ways Bogarts has kind of flown under the radar. He's he's not mentioned as one of the elite players in baseball, right? But when you look at at him and what he's produced, and he's been on two World Series championship teams. Now he's on that he's a rookie mm-hmm. on that thirteen team, right? Uh, and doing some of these things that nobody has done or one other person has ever done in baseball. It really is an amazing story, uh, but he, you know, he, he he's not sort of mentioned in that top tier of players. I think unless, you know, unless you're a fan of the Red Sox and really see him and, and watch him every day, but he really is one of the elite players of baseball. Yeah, strangely enough, he might suffer from playing in the Red Sox in that regard because there are two other players on that roster who are quote unquote better than him, right? Mookie Betts and Lady Martinez. Right, right. You know it, yeah. they're. Their peak seasons to this point have been yeah have been better have than been the better. season Bogarts is having right now. Right, right. Uh, Martinez obviously last year hitting over forty home runs, driving in one hundred thirty. Yep. Uh, and Betts has had two years, twenty sixteen and twenty eighteen, that have been better than Bogarts this year. Right. The question that you ask though is with Bogarts at twenty six, is he going to get better? Yeah. He's just starting to enter what most people would think is his prime. Absolutely. I mean, typically their prime is usually right around 26, 27, 28, right up until about 30, 31. So he's he's knocking on the door. And, you know, who knows? I, I got to believe this probably an MVP award in the offing at some point here. You know, well, He's going to finish in the top five this year yeah. for sure, yeah. uh, if not the top three. Uh, you would think that he's going to be right there. Mike Trout's going to run away with sure. it. Um, you know, but Bogart's could certainly be in contention for second, third, fourth spot. Uh, he's had that good a season. And and you just wonder, in the last two years, philosophically, he's changed at the plate. And, and Alex Cora has asked him to change at the plate, mm-hmm. sacrifice some of those singles, try not to hit 330, right. try to have more extra base hits, home runs, doubles, whatever it may be. And it's worked. No, he's responded. Absolutely. Um yeah, I mean, that, I remember uh, in the 80s, that was the big knock against Wade Boggs, who would get up there and hit a ton of singles, and people say, oh, you know, he should be hitting the hitting right. for more power. And, so, and he could. He certainly could, and as he proved it. Right. But, uh, yeah, I think I think with, with Bogarts, um, he's been asked to do it, and he's delivered. I mean, he's, he's really a threat um, whenever he comes up. He can hit to all parks, uh, all sides of the, all, all uh, sides of the park, and the fact that he does it at shortstop to me is always impressive. Yeah, you know? it's hard to play that position every day. Right, it, it definitely is. Uh, you know, and you and you see a lot of guys, whether it be shortstop or catcher, their offense suffers because it is a very physically demanding position. Absolutely, uh, he's been able to keep that up all year. It's funny that you bring up Wade Boggs because I, you know, I looked probably about a month ago when Devers was sort of on that hot streak that he was on. Uh, the most extra base hits Wade Boggs ever had in a season was 70. Okay. Devers has a chance to finish with like 90. Wow. 
Uh, I mean, he's really, you know, 90, low 90s, yeah. somewhere in there. Right. Um, he's not going to get on base like Wade Box no. did. He's never going to walk like yeah. that. But if you're looking at a guy in his second full season, third season overall, right. who's 22. Yeah, that's scary. The numbers he's putting up offensively. Right. Right. I mean, how much more upside is there for him? It's just, it's just wild to think that that left side is doing what they're doing, and it makes you wonder the new GM who comes in, if J.D. Martinez does happen to opt out, mm. are you going to take that $22, 23000000 million and maybe try to put it on the pitching staff, thinking that your offense is good enough and we're not trading Mookie Betts? Right. They're still going to be pretty good in the order. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, and there isn't much you can say about the offense. They have been very good. You know, they've been uh, fairly consistent. Uh, and, again, it's really just a uh, – uh, it f- squarely falls on the shoulders of the pitching staff this, this year. Uh, so, Bill, um, the Red Sox are um, just returned, as you did, from Toronto. Uh, they've got the um, – I know they got the San Francisco Giants next week. Uh, they're in they're in uh, Philadelphia this weekend for a quick two gamer. Yep. Uh, and then they uh, go to Tampa. I want to say after that and Texas. They play thirteen in a row to finish. The right. Giants for three at home. Tampa four on the road. Texas three on the road. Yep. The Orioles three at home. So, um, I think we've uh, we've we've come to the end of our Red Sox travel. <laughs> This year, I'm not sure that there's much uh, interest in going on these last few road trips, other than to see them officially, mathematically be eliminated. But right. we can watch that from here in Providence, right? Folks want that email, Bill Corey. <laughs> we'll book the trip. Otherwise, right. I'm, I'm going to Philadelphia, and that's going to be it. Uh, well, we will wrap up with our uh, postmortem edition uh, next time, and, and look at all the things that didn't happen for the Boston Red Sox this season, mm. uh, which is a uh, you know a long list. Uh, kind of different than last year, wasn't it, Bill? I mean, at this point last year, we were talking about, uh, gee, I wonder who they're going to play in the playoffs. Yeah, who's going to start the first game? Is Chris <laughs> Sale going to be back? Or right. Are we going to have, uh, you know, what sort of lineup are they going to roll out there? Um, you know, who's going to play first base? Who's going to play third base? Those were pretty popular discussions <laughs> right. at the time. Right. Um, you know, but we're, we're, in Oct- we're into September, and you know, the Red Sox are playing – sort of meaningful games for other teams it's kind of strange <laughs> yeah, right. uh, you know, right. the, the yeah. Phillies are in an NL wild card battle and yep. you know the Rays are still in a battle for the AL wild card spots uh, yeah. you know and the Orioles are, are in a battle with the Tigers for the first overall pick yeah uh, so they're going to be doing everything they can to lose they have a, they have a chance uh, to play the spoiler for somebody they just got to figure out who that's going to be <laughs> it's just going to be who it is and, and by beating the Orioles they'd be spoiling it for themselves right. uh, you know they should just lose every game on the way out and, and tank um, um, I, I would want to finish up, though, with uh, on a positive note. Yes, of course. Enough. We're all positive. Um, want to note uh, some good news for a couple local guys sure. here. Uh, Bryant University product, James Karinchak, was called up by the Indians on Thursday. Mm. Uh, the first Bryant baseball player to reach the majors since a Red Sox right-hander named Keith McWhorter. In 1980, you remember? Who? You remember him? I sort of remember the name. Well, kind of. What he got into like six innings or something. Sort like of your era, but not really. <laughs> a little young in 1980, but still. Yeah. yeah. But uh, a, a great accomplishment for Bryant. Uh, Karinchak in the minors this year, 74 strikeouts in 30 and a third innings. Wow. Which translates to about 80 percent of his outs via strikeout. <laughs> That's ridiculous. It's nuts. Yeah. Uh, right-handed pitcher was a ninth-round pick out of Bryant. Signed. Uh, was a starter. They moved him to the bullpen. 
hard fastball guy, uh, you know, someone who had a lot of ability they thought would rise quickly mm-hmm. um, and, and has made it. Uh, other guy is an infielder named Jeremy Pena, classical product, yep. uh, son of Geronimo Pena, right. the outfielder yeah. in the 90s, uh, was the sixth overall pick in the Dominican Winter League draft. Hmm. Uh, and if you look at some of the off-season league rosters, whether it be the Arizona Fall League, the Dominican Winter League, uh, you watch any of the Caribbean World Series, uh, you've got some really, really good players in those leagues. And, mm. and it gives you an idea of what they think of him. Uh, played college baseball at Maine. There was a family connection there. Um, was a third-round pick of the Astros in 2018. Had a very nice year across two levels this season. 21 doubles, 20 steals, over an 800 OPS. Uh, someone who's showing considerable ability and, and growth. Uh, and definitely two names, you know, Karen Chak more immediately, but Jeremy Pena going forward, who, you know, local baseball fans might want to take note of. Excellent. Excellent. So we'll hopefully watch these guys progress, and maybe at some point they will stop through uh, the. Uh the uh, Pawtucket, well, they'd have to do it next year if they're going to make it to Pawtucket. Otherwise, they'd be in Worcester. Yeah. <laughs> Keep yeah. forgetting that, right? It was but, it was also great to catch up with uh, Thomas Pannone in Toronto. Yeah. Uh, right. You know, former Hendrick and left-hander yeah. who is in the Blue Jays bullpen now. Had a very nice outing on Thursday. Mm-hmm. Uh, one and two-thirds innings. Retired all four guys he faced. Got a double play ball then the seventh inning. And, and then went one, two, three in the eighth. Uh Finishing up his first full season in the majors, and uh, you know, hard to believe that you know, as I said to him, we would have been having that conversation when he was in high school uh, at an indoor facility in Warwick that he used to work out in. <laughs> right. Uh, that I was working at while I was between jobs. And here he is thrown uh, for the Blue Jays, and here you are covering him. It, it's a it's a <laughs> very strange thing the way the world works for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, so some good local stories, if if not anything good coming out of the Red Sox. Well, we will do this at least one more time, Bill. Uh, so uh, for now, uh, this is Bill Corey uh, in the Providence Journal. Bill Koch, thanks again.